Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Luke 8:22. So we are continuing our series, our fall sermon series, and we're calling it Resolute, Tenacious Faith for Tumultuous Times. Uh, these are tumultuous times, but it helps to remember uh, that this is really nothing new. Remember, Peter told his congregation 2,000 years ago to never be surprised or caught off guard by hardship, as if something strange were happening to us. According to Peter, hardship in the Christian life is not a stranger. And we want to say the same thing to you. Hope, let's not be surprised by the hardship around us. Instead, let's ask God what tenacious faith looks like in the midst of such hardship. To do this, we've been looking at God's people across redemptive history Last week, we've been looking at the 12 tribes of Israel. This week, we will look at the 12 disciples. Our passage is well known. You've probably heard of it or read it or studied it often. Uh, And sometimes that's a bad thing. Uh, Sometimes familiarity with scripture uh, makes us think that it has nothing left to say to us. Uh, But I want to read this passage and then I want to ask God with you, to speak afresh from his word into our lives, into our struggles, into our hardships, into our world. And so let's read together. You can follow along. This is verse 22 of Luke 8. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake And they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even winds and water. And they obey him. Lord, may the words of my mouth with the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. You are our rock. You are our redeemer and Holy Spirit. We now ask you to empower this time and soften our hearts. We invite you into this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, which seems honestly like a few decades ago, my family went to Walt Disney World. Uh, Now, I'm not a roller coaster guy, and I never have been at all, uh, but I heard these amazing things about one ride in particular. It's called Expedition Everest. This ride apparently has an 8.5 rating on coastercritic.com, so you know it must be good. Uh, The best part about it, apparently... uh, It's a kid's ride with a Mount Everest theme. 
Now, I love Mount Everest. I love mountain climbing. And I can only tolerate kids' rides. Win-win. And so I told my oldest son I would ride this thing with him. Worst ride ever. Worst ride ever. Objectively, the roller coaster is amazing. It deserves 8.5 rating. It probably deserves more than that, frankly. I was surprised. 8.5 is a little low on CoasterCritic.com. But as soon as this ride started going backwards, it lost my vote. Here's why. I felt completely out of control. At least going forward on roller coasters, I can pretend I'm in control. But backwards, I have enough trouble riding in the back of, my, of a car, let alone a backwards roller coaster. So I got off this ride and my family tells me I was uh, a sad sight. Now, all I know is that my shirt was soaked with sweat and not just a ring right here. Like my shirt was like drenched, like I'd just been swimming with my shirt on. And I sat in a bathroom stall for 45 minutes reevaluating my life decisions. In fact, when preparing this message, I had to look up the name of the ride because I blocked it out of my memory. Uh, and as soon as I saw pictures of this thing on Google, uh, my heart rate, I'm not kidding, my heart rate started to, to pound and my palms started to get clammy. <laughs> See, I need to feel like I'm in control. I know theoretically I'm not in control, but as long as I can pretend I'm in control, I'm okay. But if something happens in my life that turns me backwards, something happens in my life that reminds me, makes me feel in my body that I am not in control, that's when I struggle. This is why the pandemic has been so hard for me. And honestly, I think that's why losing my dad in the pandemic has been so hard for me. Things are not going according to script. Things are happening in my life in ways that make me feel like life is out of control. I wonder if you can relate to me. There's this profound philosophical work on human nature called Calvin and Hobbes. I'm talking about the comic strip. And it has this recurring theme, and I wonder if you can remember it, where they find themselves on a wagon or on a sled going, careening, really, downhill. And it's in the, can't you even picture that right now? Calvin and Hobbes in a wagon just careening down a hill. Well, it's in those moments that Calvin always asks Hobbes a deep question about free will or if we have any uh, freedom in life. Uh, It's because in those moments... In those wagon moments, we feel most vulnerable. We can't pretend anymore that we're in control. And we are all in a wagon careening down a hill right now, aren't we? Isn't that how life feels? Well, scholars point out that this feeling is the contact point between our world and the world of the disciples in our passage. This feeling is the contact point between our world in the world of the disciples in this passage. It's the contact point, this feeling of being out of control. Remember, many of the disciples were professional fishermen. They were confident in the water. But out of nowhere, a storm breaks, and it breaks their self-confidence. It says in verse 23, if you take a look, a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. 
It was so bad that they were that they that they thought they were dying. They say, Master, Master, we are perishing. And even more troubling, they had to wake Jesus up. He was asleep on the boat. They experienced their lack of control. Maybe in theory, they knew that they didn't have control of their lives, only God did. But on the sea, as fishermen, they could pretend they had control. But this storm was what some call a bottoming out experience. The storm was a bottoming out moment. I believe 2020 is in many ways a bottoming out moment for all of us. We, we're, when we do this, we are experiencing what has always been true. We are not in control and we never have been. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in these circumstances out of control? Well, this passage tells us we take a closer look at Jesus. See, after Jesus calms the storm, the disciples ask each other, Who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. They're asking each other this question, Who is Jesus? But they're asking us as well. They're asking you as well. Who is Jesus when life is out of control? Who is he? I think this episode in history, this passage in scripture, I think it tells us three things. Number one, that Jesus has command. The disciples force the question, who is Jesus? And the answer we get from this event is that Jesus has full command, command over all things, command over all creation. In this instance, command over the waters. Now we might read this and we might think Jesus is just kind of like being like Harry Houdini here or uh, my generation, David Copperfield, or maybe your generation, David Blaine. But that's not what he's doing at all. He's not just flexing to impress. He's saying something to his disciples. He's saying something to you. Jesus is saying that he has full command over any circumstance in your life that feels out of control. Let me say that again. He is saying that Jesus has full command over every circumstance in your life that feels out of your control. And he does this in two ways. First, he sleeps through the storm. And second, he rebukes the storm. First, he sleeps through the storm. He shows he has full command actually by sleeping through the storm. We might think his sleeping shows a lack of care or a neglect, but I think that misses the point. I see in this, number one, I see the humanity of Jesus, even as he's fully God. He gets tired. He's exhausted. He can sleep through a storm. Have you ever been so tired you could sleep through your neighbor's party or whatever? Jesus is tired. He's tired because he's fully human as much as he's fully God. But I think this also means that Jesus is not stressed about the waters. Notice, he fell asleep as they set out before the storm. Jesus is is falling asleep. He's not stressed about the waters. He knows everything is going to be okay. He has full command. 
Second, Jesus shows he has full command by rebuking the storm. That word right there, rebuke, is the same word he uses in other places, rebuking demons. Jesus has command over all things. He has command over the storm. In the Old Testament, the waters were always symbolic of chaos because Israel was not a seafaring culture. It was the ultimate uncomfortable space. Think of an uncomfortable space for you. This was the ultimate uncomfortable space. And that's why God is so often described as commanding or rebuking the water. I just want you to listen uh, to a sampling of the Psalms. The Psalms are in the middle of your Bible. They're the Old Testament uh, people of God's songbook. Um, And just listen to these Psalms. I'm just going to read them and just let them uh, enter into your heart as as I read them. Psalm 29.3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. Psalm 65, 7, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples? Psalm 89, 9, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 104, 6, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. The waters At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. Psalm 106, 9. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. Psalm 107, 29. God made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Do you hear a theme? We may feel like the events are out of control in our life right now because they are out of our control but God has total command growing up we lived in a region of Indiana that was east of Tornado Alley but we had our fair share of tornadoes and as a kid whenever there was a tornado warning uh, I got all my cues from my dad if he was panicking then guess what I was panicking but if he was calm and most of the time he was calm I was calm I got my cues from my dad. Now, if that's true of my dad, who has no command over the tornadoes, how much more true of that is of Jesus? Amen? He is in complete control. And notice, he doesn't downplay the events that rock our world. But he isn't panicked or stressed about them either. That is the best news I can hear right now. Jesus is not stressing. What is stressing you out right now? That's not a theoretical question. Just bring it to mind. Bring it to heart. What is stressing you out right now? Now bring to heart the reality that Jesus knows more about that situation and how it will play out than you do. And he's not stressed about it. It's been said that if you knew all that Jesus did, you would answer your prayers in the exact same way as he does. We can trust Jesus because he is in full command. Jesus has full command. He also has full compassion. Full compassion. Full command full compassion. There are two things that we often separate, right? Command and compassion. 
a commander, we think, can't be compassionate, and a compassionate person can't have command. But in Jesus, these things are married so beautifully. Jesus is not just sovereign Lord of creation, which he is, but he is kind and compassionate to disciples in distress. He calms the storm with a powerful rebuke. Calm, rebuke, in the same passage. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He uses his authority, his power, to produce calm in the life of his disciples, to to care for and to shepherd and to lay down his life for others. This is the compassion of Jesus. He is not just a commander. He is a king. But he is also our compassionate shepherd. Jesus notices compassionate even when the disciples are weak. Notice that that this this happens. Jesus asks, where is your faith? He asks this question to his own disciples. That implies that their faith is weak. It wasn't absent because they cried out to Jesus. At least they cried out to Jesus in this time of distress. It wasn't absent. But it wasn't strong because they were panicking in the presence of their Lord. This tells us that Jesus is happy to answer our cries, even when, especially when, our faith is weak. Jesus is compassionate even when the disciples are wrong. Notice in verse 24, they say, Master, Master, we are dying. That wasn't true. They weren't dying. But Jesus gladly accepts their cry. Why? Because he's compassionate. I say this almost every week. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. As it's been said, you may have very little faith in your airline pilot. You may be sitting in your seat, a nervous wreck as that airplane takes off and lands. But if you stepped on the plane, that little faith is going to get you to your destination. It's not the strength of your faith that gets you. It's the competency of the pilot. It's the object of your faith, not the strength of your faith that matters. Jesus will get you there. Do you believe him? He will. During these out-of-control days, look at the compassion of Jesus. He shows us that the faith that he requires is not a perfect faith, not even a strong faith. So turn to Jesus, even if you feel like your faith is in shambles, even if you doubt that he cares for you. Wake him up with your prayers right now. He will accept your inaccurate accusations. But more importantly, he will be your safety. Jesus has command. Jesus has compassion. And I want to say finally that Jesus has a challenge. He has a challenge for his disciples here, and he has a challenge for you out there. That's the thing about Jesus. He is full of compassion. 
but he is also full of challenge, isn't he? He's always challenging his disciples because he loves us. He loves us where we are, but he never leaves us where we are, and that is love. Jesus challenges us. He challenges our fears. In verse 25, he says, where is your faith? They were afraid. And then they, they, they marveled after, after they saw what Jesus did. One scholar says there are two fears in this passage, one good and one bad. The first fear, the wrong fear, was their fear of their circumstances, the storm. The second fear, the appropriate fear, was this fear that happened after Jesus calmed the storm. It says that they were afraid and they were in awe. They were afraid and they were in awe. That is called the fear of the Lord, and it's a good thing. This passage defines it as a, as a fear and an awe combined. It's when we see, and hang on to this, it's when we see the godness of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus in perfect combination. And when we do, what happens? We are humbled to our core because he is God Almighty who controls the storms. And yet we are emboldened like we've never been before because he is our God Almighty who calms the storms. And that mixture of reverence and intimacy and and love and security, the godness of Jesus and the goodness of Jesus, when those things combine, they explode in your heart with what is called worship. It's, it's when you worship. It's when you, it's when you weep at the thought of Jesus. It's when you sing songs about him and you think, can this even be true? You love me? It's when the Holy Spirit assures you that you are loved and that you are cleaned and that you are his forever. In these moments, you fall on the ground. Why? Because he is God and he is good. Jesus challenges us always to move towards this posture of worship. And he also challenges our faith in this passage. Notice Jesus accepts their faith, but he's always aiming to strengthen it. Isn't he good? Isn't that good of him? They did right in coming to Jesus. I mean, Jesus says, come with me onto the boat. And what do they do? They went on the boat with him. That's amazing obedience. That's amazing faith. But he's noticing areas where they have weaker faith and he's challenging them. He's strengthening them in these areas. They didn't rest in Jesus when circumstances were crazy. And that's what Jesus is after. And I think it's what he's after for me. And I think it's what Jesus is after for you right now. Trust right now. Submission right now. Relaxing into the kingship of Jesus right now. This challenge is a grace to us. We're conditioned, I think, to think that any challenge is a bad thing. But when a challenge comes from a trustworthy, loving, secure person, it's always a good thing, isn't it? It's so, so good. I think of every good coach I've had in my life, every good teacher I've had in my life. They accepted me and they always challenged me. And so I grew. I grew, not to earn their respect, but because I had their respect. This is how Jesus works. He loves and respects you so much that he calms the sea so that you would trust him today. 
Simply put, Jesus is inviting you to a more resolute faith this morning. A tenacious faith in a tumultuous time. Tenacious faith doesn't just get in the boat, but entrusts everything that happens while in the boat to Jesus. It's amazing. The ancient church would compare the church to a boat based off of this story. They saw life as a Christian as a boat that is just rocked. Sometimes it's peaceful. Sometimes it just gets rocked. Tenacious faith gets in the boat and then stays in the boat and entrusts everything that happens in the boat to Jesus. Tenacious faith presses hard into the person of Jesus, not just ideas about him. And that's where our attention should be right now. These days, we should be asking, what is Jesus up to right now? What is he doing? How can I trust him more? How can I learn more about him? How can I become more and more devoted follower of King Jesus these days? What is it about this moment in history that I could learn something new about Jesus in? The person of Jesus, the reality of Jesus. Do you know he is alive? Do you know that he is risen? Do you know that he is not just a theory or a religious principle? Do you know that he is a person? Do you know that he has scars on his hands and feet even now in his resurrection body? And do you know he is interceding for you right now by name? He's praying for you by name and he has the Father's ear. And guess what? This person of Jesus who calmed the sea, who has full command, is coming again to make all that is bent and broken in your life straight again. Do you know that's Jesus? I want you to lean into that. I want you to think on that. I want you to talk to him in this time. This is a time in life where we can't rely on principles. We have to rely on the person of Jesus. Tenacious faith comes at the end of our rope. So I think this is a good time, friends, to grow in our faith. We are all at the end of our ropes. And Jesus is there right at the end. That's where he is. That's where he's most reliably present, actually. So hope my prayer for us is the same as the Apostle Paul had for his church in Ephesus. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach pointed, uh, pointed me to this passage, and I want to read it for you, and I want it to be my prayer, even my concluding prayer for this message. Ephesians 1.15 says, and receive this prayer. Let's pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.